Where did you grow up? How was childhood? Uh, I grew up in uh, Arizona. Uh -huh. um, yeah, it was pretty good. I don't know. Pretty normal childhood, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So when did you figure out you want to make games for the rest of your life? Uh, probably sometime, uh, probably when I was around 17 or 18. Oh. Um, me and my friends started, we started just messing around making games um, just as a hobby really more than anything. And then uh, there was a board game we really liked, so we made it into a computer game. And that really kind of kick-started everything. Oh, yeah. What was the board game? Uh, the board game was called Dungeon Bowl. Oh, it was yeah. like an old games workshop board game. Uh -huh. So we had our own, we had all our own house rules, and we had our own version of the game that we liked. And we're like, hey, we want to make a computer game version of this so we I mean it wasn't exactly like that what we ended up making but that was kind of the inspiration for the game we made yeah so RPG from beginning yeah <laughs> oh let's talk about Crush Deluxe you remember that game yeah that's the game I was just talking about <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that's kind of that's a game I kind of define as an RPG sport dungeon crawler I don't know and I think you started making RPGs from the beginning so Uh, why do you like it so much, that RPG vibe in your games? Uh, I mean, probably, I mean, I played, I grew up playing a lot of Dungeons and Dragons, and mm -hmm. I don't know, I always liked adventure games like Zelda or Dragon Quest, yeah. which later on became, oh wait, Dragon Warrior, that's what it was called when I first yeah. played it, but um, I just, I don't know, I just kind of naturally gravitated to those kind of games, so when, I, when it came to making games myself, it seemed like a pretty natural fit. Oh yeah. So, uh, was your first game successful financially? Um, it was for me at the time. I mean, I was like super young, so we didn't make. It was a lot of money for a young kid, but by today's standards, it probably wasn't that successful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you were making games in different companies, but when and more importantly, why did you decide to start your own thing and call it Visual Games? Um, yeah, well, so, I mean, even the studio before, I've always, I've never actually worked for anybody else. So oh. the first studio I, the first thing I started was called Stone Jackal Studios, yeah. which me and my friends founded, and then uh, I found another one outside of college called, Gun, uh, man, what was it called, Realm Interactive, mm -hmm. and then eventually we founded Vigil Games, and I think we really founded Vigil Games because we wanted to make console games. And at the time, I was working at NCSoft, and they didn't really have any interest in doing console games. Oh. So we left to start Vigil. So uh, you were pretty young when you started your own company. Were you afraid? Or did you know anything about management and how is it going to work out you know, financially? No. Especially I didn't know back anything. in those I didn't days. Really care. Oh, these days, it's, I think it's much more. Uh, do you agree? I think this is. Right now, it's much more easier to start an indie company, you know, comparing to those days. And that was oh, a big yeah, thing. Is... I mean, <laughs> I mean, when we when we did Vigil, like if if we hadn't got a publisher, we would have been dead in the water. There was oh. like you couldn't. There was really no good way to sell your games directly to players. Oh, yeah. So uh, you started Vigil, and you were like, okay, we got to make games, and uh, that. I think is a very tough situation to be in because your next game is your debut and it might actually be the last game from your company uh, because yeah. business is tough. So uh, how did you realize Darksiders is a confident IP to start with? I think for us it was like 
we just liked the basic idea. I mean, we kind of knew what type of game we wanted to make. We wanted to make something that was like kind of Zelda, kind of, you know, it had a little bit of Prince of Persia in there with the platforming elements. And yeah. we had a bunch of different elements from different games we wanted to include. And then we had a bunch of different ideas as far as what the setting would be. And eventually, um, one of us came up with the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse idea. And we're like, yeah, that's cool. Let's just go with that. <laughs> I don't think we ever, we didn't really second guess it. Once we decided what we were going to do, we just ran with it. So when you started Darksiders 1, did you have any plan to that it's going to have sequels? going to discover no. Uh, death or <laughs> no no Not in fact we finished darksiders one we finished darksiders one and we're like ah oh, crap we got to make a sequel so we had to kind of like <laughs> go back and figure out what the lore and the story was to make it work for the sequel so when did you decide to make a sequel after releasing the game to see that you know great reception of the game or it was was it before the releasing of the game um i think we had talked about it a little bit before we released the game but we didn't really know how well it was going to do, so we didn't really think about it seriously until after the game came out and we saw that it did pretty well. Oh, so I just decided that Death is going to be the hero of the second one. Um, I think, I don't know, that was kind of a weird decision. We just didn't want to do the same character because we thought everybody else, when they make sequels, they just use the same character. We thought it would be cool to switch up characters, Yeah. which was kind of stupid because we had to redo everything from scratch, <laughs> but... <laughs> It yeah. was fun for us to be able to have a different main character. Exactly. Darksiders 2 is very different to the first one and continued to the third one being different to the last two ones. And and I like it. I think yeah. you have enough courage to try different things rather than, you know, repeating <laughs> the same formula. How do you decide these changes? Is there any doubt designing a sequel that fans might say, oh, this is not like the last one? Yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, it takes a lot of guts because most people will make a game and, like you said, they'll just, like, Hey, let's make a sequel that has all the same elements with a few yeah. with a new story and some new mechanics. But we pretty much have committed to say, all right, every game is going to be slightly different. Um, I mean, it's just fun for us as developers to just try different styles of game. I mean, there's a core to the games that are still similar. There's still combat. There's still puzzles. Mm -hmm. um, there's like a common thread through all the games. But we try to change up as much of the formula as possible to keep it from becoming stale. Yeah. So uh, tell me about the day visual ended. How did that happen? And how did you sleep that night? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I don't remember how I slept, honestly. But yeah, it was pretty crazy. We, uh, when THQ went to bankruptcy, we, we kind of expected someone to purchase, the, uh, purchase Vigil Games, um, or at least purchase the Darksiders IP, but they didn't partially because we didn't really have anything in development. A lot of the other studios were pretty far along. Like they had games that were almost done or like the games that THQ had already put a ton of money into. So it was a good buy for people to pick up at the auction. But like Vigil, we had just finished the game. So when someone looked at buying Vigil games, they didn't really get anything except for the people. So it was a bit of a shock, but yeah, it happened. And then you, I don't know. I probably, I probably didn't sleep that well, but I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> and then you started uh, Critic uh, U.S. Uh, department. So yes, wow. How was that? How was the experience in that? It was really fun at first. I mean, we got to all got to keep working together, which is really important. Um, they they pretty much let us work on whatever they want. We wanted. They said, "Hey, just make a game, make it cool." So, you know, for a good year or so, we were having a lot of fun working on a project there. And then uh, eventually they just had some money problems and they stopped paying us. So obviously you can 
only go so long when you're not getting a paycheck. <laughs> yeah, so uh, that that is why I appreciate about you that, uh, of course, you started Vigil and Crytek, now going for it, but you guys are always stuck together and there you supported each other, the core team of the uh, studio, and that is great. I think how many years you've been working with the? I think most of the team in, at Gun, Gunfire. Oh yeah, I don't know. Like a lot of the people that work here have been. I've been working on working with them since Darksiders once. So yeah. I don't know what was that like. Twelve years ago, thirteen years ago. It's been yeah. a long time. Yeah, long time. Yeah. Our our the tech director here at at Gunfire Games was one of our first employees at Vigil Games. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they like their boss, I guess. <laughs> so uh, when I guess you... so. Yeah, we worked together a long time. <laughs> yeah, when you decided to start gunfire games what were the lessons you learned from starting vigilant what was different about gunfire um i think we just knew a lot more like when we started vigil we didn't know anything about making console games we didn't know anything about like operating a big studio or any of that type of stuff so when we made gunfire we were way more efficient way more we were able to hit the ground running and be able to produce stuff pretty quick i mean at vigil it took us years before we really even had anything to show anybody with Darksiders because we were still just sort of figuring everything out. Yeah, and I, I can see it in Gunfire. You're trying different ideas with smaller games. I think that's financially yeah. is a more uh, safer way to continue this studio. And they're all amazing games. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a lot more satisfying as a developer, you know. Yeah. When you work on one game over like four years, I mean, it's still fun, but it can kind of drag on a little bit because you're just doing the same thing for year after year after year. But we've been around about four years at Gunfire, and I think we've shipped like five or six games at this point. Yeah. So it's a lot different than it was at Vigil. So now you have more games right now. Of course, your uh, duties as a manager of this studio is heavier than before. So are you still designing some games? Or are you involved in those games or are you just managing the studio uh yeah i'm not a very typical manager like i still am very involved in working on the games i like i just like i like programming i like doing design i like doing all that kind of stuff so i generally tend to hire people to just do all the management stuff for me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's great so uh, what was the what were the initial ideas about making darksiders 3 why did you decide to change the gear in the third one um, I think, well, I mean, first of all, we wanted the abilities to be um, just more endemic to her. Like, we didn't want her picking up items and using items yeah. as much. We wanted to just be, like, manifestations of her own power. And then I think probably the first big decision that affected a lot of things is we wanted to do a more open, not open, but, like, a more Metroidvania-style world instead yeah. of a hub and spoke. And we also didn't want, we didn't want to lock you into combat. Like, Darkstars 1 and Darkstars 2 relied pretty heavily on, like, you go into a room, red barriers appear, and then you fight wave after wave of enemies before you go to the next room. Um, so once we decided we didn't did not want to do that, it kind of drove a lot of the decisions as far as like pacing, difficulty level, how enemy encounters were done. Because once you get rid of the red barriers, like it just changes the way you have to set up the combat and all the type of stuff. Yeah. So how do you design combat systems? What what tips do you have for people starting out? Oh, I mean, the biggest tip I can give is just to play other games. I mean, huh. there's so many great examples and systems and 
things that other people have done. I know that like Dark Siders one, we were having trouble because the sword combat didn't feel that well. And so, you know, one of the suggestions I said I had was like, hey, let's just take a game that we know feels good and like let's copy it at first just to understand why it feels good. Yeah. And I think after we did that, we had a better understanding of like, oh, this is why they make the animation like this, or this is why there's this much wind up on the attacks, or this is why the attacks are this snappy. And then once you have that information, it's a lot easier to then move in and start designing your own stuff. Um, you know, a, another classic example is like, if you pay attention, a lot of games steal the jump timings from the original Mario game, because Nintendo spent a lot of times, a lot of time messing with that timing to make sure it felt yeah. good. And if, just by looking at Mario to see, oh, he jumps for like 0.98 seconds or whatever it is, you learn a lot about like just the feel of things and how they, they feel well. And I can usually tell a game, if people haven't spent a lot of time like referencing old games or trying to capture that feel, like one of the first things that comes across is when the jump feels bad. And that, <laughs> that's a great example of where you just have to look, go look at the masters and they spent a lot of time trying to make sure that stuff felt good. Yeah, that's great advice. So you you have designed tons of uh, you have experience designing tons of bus fights. What is the key thing to design a bus, and what do you suggest to wannabe bus fight designers? I think one of the most important things about the boss fight. I always try to think about what will they remember after the fight. Like, what's the one cool thing the boss does um, that you know three days later, a week later, a month later, like, oh yeah, that was that boss that turned into a ball and rolled around the arena and tried to smash you or whatever it is. That's number one for me. And then the next thing is, like, what are you challenging the player to do that they haven't done before? Even if it's just a minor twist on on something, you know, maybe in this fight they they the boss forces you to move around because he casts things on the ground that cause the arena to be hazardous, so you can't just stand in one place. Yeah. And that's changing the expectation or making them, like, expand what they're doing and think differently is another big part of making the bosses interesting. So do you suggest for people who are not very familiar designing bus that if they're, you know, uh, in doubt of designing or not, not, de not, not designing a bus, you suggest them to just don't do it if you don't know how to do it because, you know, bus could be very tricky. Sure. I, yeah, I would like, my advice is you either make it really simple because anybody can make a simple boss, right? Yeah. And make it present very well. Like, make sure the animations are nice. Make sure he does cool stuff. Because um, you can have a really simple fight. The, the actual fight's not that complex, but people remember it. And I remember there was a God of War where there was a boss where the actual fight had interesting. He just, like, summoned people to come fight you. Yeah. But at the end of the fight, you, like, smash his head into a door. And you have to pound the B button. And it let you keep smashing his head <laughs> over and over into the door. And at the end of the day, I still remember that fight, even though the fight wasn't that great. I just yeah. remember that, oh, yeah, that was that guy I got to smash his head in the door. So you either go that route where you make it really simple but memorable, or if you have a really cool idea to make the fight more complex and challenge the player, you got to make sure it's a really good idea. And you don't yeah. want to, like, you just got to make sure it's something the player can pick up on and it doesn't become too frustratingly hard. Yeah. That reminded me of uh, uh, The Darkness 1. Have you played The Darkness? How long you time remember, ago, yeah. Yeah, you remember the final bus fight of that game? I don't think. I actually don't think I got to the end. I got like halfway through, I think. So the final bus <laughs> of the game was. I was working on Dark Side of One when that game came out. <laughs> so the final bus was. I was constantly shooting at him. I couldn't get past that 
final boss and the key was not shooting at him. You just stand there and suddenly after some minutes the game ends. <laughs> that was one of the best yeah, boss fights ever. So uh, last week I tweeted yeah. that I'm going to talk to you and I asked people to ask their questions. I'm going to shoot some of them here so you might want to answer them. Warning, they're tough. Okay. <laughs> So, no worries. This is from Patrick Braga, I think. Will Darkness 2 and 3 be brought to Switch as well? Uh, Dark Stars 1 and 2? I think 2 is already on the Switch. I'm not really sure about 1. I, I actually don't have as much knowledge of that just because that's handled <laughs> mostly by THQ Nordic yeah. Corporate. But 2 is definitely already on. We, yeah. When we worked on 2 at Vigil, it was... Oh, no, not to Switch. I'm sorry, that was on the Wii U. Yes, I think one is, is on Switch, switch but, I guess. I don't, but I don't know for sure. Yeah. So next question. Yeah, I got confused. Yes. Shatterstar187 has Darkness Three been success enough for the THQ to greenlight a sequel? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. So there's a possibility. I mean, I don't. I won't say whether they've greenlit a sequel or not, but I think it's definitely been successful enough for them to greenlight a sequel if they wanted to. Yeah. So, less hybrid or lay hybrid? I don't know. What was the reason for excluding Fury's horse in the game? That's a very... It was mostly because of the... Yeah, we wanted to make a world that was very 3D. So, like, if you look at the world of Darksiders 3, it, there were only a few spots where you could actually ride the horse yep. without it being annoying because the there's a lot more underground areas, there's a lot more smaller passageways and stuff like that. So, at the end of the day, it was like, I mean, you're going to be able to literally ride it in like one or two spots what's the point of including it um yeah. and we just thought it would have been frustrating to the player if they'd have like got this cool horse mechanic that could use in like two areas so yeah. we thought it fit better in his story beat to give her some motivation in the story yeah it's a great thing about you because you're not just building up on previous features in the games so like okay the, the previous game we had, we had a horse now we have to evolve the horse in the third one you're just going for different experiences sure. and how fun this could be i really really appreciate that so uh next question siyavash khaksar iranian guy darksiders 3 supports farsi language do you know the reason behind this decision i guess no other game before this did such a thing support farsi language yeah, I think that was more of a decision for THQ. They yeah. came to us and they said, hey, we want to support this language. And we were like, all right. I mean, we didn't mind doing the work. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know what their original motivation was, but we thought it was cool. For our, and we're like, yeah, it, if, it, it, if it exposed the game to a whole other group of gamers, then all the power to it. That's awesome. Man, you have no idea how many people played that game because of that. So uh, this one's from yeah, me. Cool. <laughs> I'm a video game composer and sound designer, sound designer, and I want to know the, uh, what happened to the idea of just just my kid composing Dark Side Dark Side of Three. Um, we actually so the guy that ended up composing it was the composer from Dark Siders One. So mm -hmm. we just shook it up. He, we liked him too. Mm -hmm. We liked Jesper Kid, um, Chris. I can't. Remember, I don't want to mess up his last name, so I'm not going to say him. But his first name's Chris, uh -huh. and I can't remember his last name. But uh, <laughs> I, we really liked his stuff. We liked his stuff from Darksiders 1, and we thought it would fit better because of the the airy ran Earth. Like, Jesper's kid stuff was much more like fantasy. Yeah. It was beautiful music, right? It was really great for, like, the Maker's area and stuff like that. I love um, that so, soundtrack. I don't know. It was just a, a decision we made. Okay. 
Last but not least, my old friend Ishbin Farinas <laughs> sent her regards. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> all right well hello <laughs> <laughs> yeah thank you so much david i love your games you're such a visionary yeah, game no designer problem. and leader and i wish you and entire entire team of gunfire games especially alicia the best all right well thank you yeah. it's good talking to you